0: All right. If you would, um, I don't think there's any other on us, but I can remember. But let's go uh, to First Corinthians chapter 15. I want to talk to you about Resurrection Sunday. First Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 13. <clears throat> Now, I'm going to start off by saying something real strong, and that is Christianity is the only religion with a still-living founder. You see, Buddha, sorry to let you know, he's dead. Brahma, dead. Muhammad, dead. Uh, Confucius, dead. Sorry I said Buddha was dead, but he's dead-dead. Um... Karl Marx, he's dead. There isn't anybody on earth who founded a religion who's not dead and buried and their tomb can be located and people can produce their bones. But that isn't all. Here's the crazy thought. Are you ready? If you had the bones of Karl Marx, you could still be a good communist. If you had the bones of Muhammad, you could still be a good Muslim. If you had the bones of Brahma, you could be a good Hindu. If you had the bones of Buddha, you could be a good Buddhist. But if you had one finger bone of Jesus Christ, you could not be a good Christian. He has to be gone. Look at your Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 13. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ, then is Christ not raised? You don't believe in the resurrection? Then Christ didn't get up out of the grave. Verse fourteen: and If Christ be not risen, then is our re- then is our preaching in vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God. We're liars, because we have testified that uh, of God that He raised up Christ, whom He raised not up. If so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. It's that simple. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and ye are yet in your sins. Then, they also which are fallen asleep in Christ, all of those who follow Jesus, believed on him, got saved, they are now, if there's no resurrection, verse 18 says, they are perished, done, and dusted, gone. Verse 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. So the boast and the glory of Christianity is more than a cross, and we watched that last week. It is the glory of an empty tomb. Now the truth is, Jesus died. That's a fact. People accept that fact. People wear crosses around their necks. They wear them as as, uh, earrings. They wear them as tattoos on their body. They put crosses up in churches. But more importantly than the fact that he died, it's the fact that Jesus rose again. Now, not everybody accepts that fact. Paul said, if Jesus not, did not rise from the grave, then we are of men most miserable. We're yet in our sin. We're still lost. Without the resurrection, your faith is vain. What you're doing today is a waste of time. And all this is just a joke. But with the resurrection... There is life-changing power, soul-saving power, sin-defeating power available to anyone who just believes. You don't have to do anything, just believe it. Now, if the resurrection is true, then Jesus is indeed the Son of God. And if the resurrection is true, then this is the miracle that proves that all other miracles are true. You know, those of us who, who know Jesus Christ, who've met him in our heart who have confessed Him as our personal Savior. We have no problem believing every miracle in this Bible because I believe in the resurrection. See, the resurrection, you get that, you'll get it all. Amen? That's the one miracle. I mean splitting the Red Sea. I mean all the other stuff. Pales in comparison to a dead man coming out of the grave. That's a miracle. To us, resurrection is amazing. It's the power beyond all powers. Say, I don't believe in miracles. I do. Now, I don't believe in the TV kind of miracles, you know. I watched a couple of, uh, 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 magicians and they're amazing, man, you know. They're pulling birds out of the air, they're turning them into fire and all this stuff. It's crazy stuff. It's not real. <laughs> it's just, it's just an illusion. But I believe in real miracles. I know the ones, the, the kind of ones that are the dead back to life. The best news this world has ever heard. It got from a graveyard. He is not here. He is risen. Amen. Father, would you just thrill our hearts this morning. Grip our hearts. Don't let anybody in this room just sit on the sidelines. Say, "Oh, I don't believe. No, I'm not interested. No, it's not for me. God, that resurrection proves this is serious. This is the most important truth. The resurrection is true. Everything else is true. It proves that Jesus died for sinners. It proved that when he died, he carried our sin to hell, dumped it in hell. Three days later, got up, no more sin, forgiveness. Without the resurrection, none of it makes sense. None of it can do anything. But boy, if the resurrection is true, Father, and what Jesus did, and what he said, and what he offers, is more real than anything we've ever experienced, than anything that we've ever held, than anything we've ever bought, than anything we've ever owned, it is more real than our life itself. If the resurrection is true, I pray that we believe it. I pray we let it shake us to the core. Somebody in this room, let it save their soul. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the truth is, by the way, that's a beautiful picture. I don't like going to graveyards. I mean, you know, uh, there's just there's just nothing good about going to a graveyard. You're paying your respects, but you want to go home, amen? You don't want to stay there for a while. You don't have a picnic there. But you know, that's a place I wouldn't mind going. Amen? An empty tomb. Now, first point I want to say this morning is God gave us the promise of the resurrection. What good is a story if everyone dies in the end? You ever read a book? You know how the the children's books ends, don't you? And they lived happily ever after. How would you like it if at the end of the book you're reading to your son or your daughter and you'll, and they all died? (laughs) I mean, that's the parent crying. You don't, who would read? What's the story if the story all ends in dirt? The story all ends at, at, at where a worm wins. Yet every atheist, every Unitarian, Every Darwinian, every humanist believes that this is all that there is. There's no life after death. The worms win in the end. No wonder everyone's escaping to the video games, hours and hours of Facebook, endless hours in front of make-believe TV series. No wonder they're sitting there wasting their time in front of all of that. No wonder this generation is the most drugged up, doped up, drunk, and addicted generation because they have nothing but a hole in the ground to look forward to. That's all they got to look forward to. But the resurrection, oh, hallelujah. Resurrection, man. Life back from the dead is a promise that God made. And he's going to keep it. He promised it in the Old Testament. Uh, Let's go to Job. Go to Job. We'll come to Luke here in just a minute. But the book of Job, chapter 19, just laying some of the groundwork. Job, chapter 19, verse 23. Job 19:23. Job is being. Uh, Elihu is is one of the men sitting there, and he's watching this conversation. He's recording everything that Job says, and and his three friends are saying, and he writes down what Job is crying out here in verse 23. Job cries out, "Oh that my words were now written," Job chapter 19 verse 23. "Oh that they were printed in a book." Prayer answered. (laughs) They were written in a book. The book you're holding in your hand. That they were graven with an iron pen and lead in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer, what? Liveth. And that he shall stand the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin, worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me, though my internal organs all be consumed. One of these days I'm going to live again, just as my Redeemer lives. What a great verse. Isaiah 26, you don't have to turn there. Verse 19 says, the dead men shall live. Together with my body, they shall arise. Awake and sing ye that dwell in dust. You're talking to people who are in the graves. For thy dew is as the dew of herbs in the earth. Earth, listen to this, shall cast out her dead. It's going to be a resurrection one day. Hosea 13, verse 14 says, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. And doesn't the grave have power? There's no pulling them back. You, you, you lay that body down into the grave, there's no pulling them back. And yet God says... I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, God says, I will be thy plagues. God says, I'll be your trouble. I'll ruin you, death. O grave, I will be thy destruction. 1 Corinthians 15.55, Paul quotes it this way. O death, now where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Prophesied throughout the Old Testament. It's also prophesied by Jesus himself. Go to Mark, sorry, Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 38. Matthew chapter 12, 38. Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees, Answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. He's talking about miracles. You're looking for a miracle. And there shall no sign be given it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with the generation, with this generation, shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. Just as Jonah was, was swallowed by a whale for three days and three nights, he was alive. Three days later, he's vomited out on dry ground and he goes and he finishes his mission. Just as Jesus, same way, Jesus will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights and then comes up out of the grave. He prophesies that. Go to chapter 16, verse 21. Chapter 16, verse 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again. Notice, he talks about, I'm going to Jerusalem, they're going to kill me, but I'll be raised again the third day. He says that over and over and over again. He prophesied, I won't go through all of them, but there, he, he, he tells, guys, tells everybody, guys, this is what's going to happen. Do you think they believed it? But then he does something even more. He actually performs it. He actually raises people from the dead to prove that it was going to happen. You know, it's one thing to talk about it. It's another to actually give life back to someone who has thoroughly died, like Lazarus, remember? When, when he shows up, Lazarus has been dead for four days. He's been put into a tomb. His sisters are angry at Jesus. They're giving out to him. If you'd only been here, our brother had not died. And Jesus says, do you know who you're talking to? He says, I'm not just Jesus. I am the resurrection. So he calls out, he says, Lazarus, come forth. And out he comes. He'd been dead four days. See, so Jesus didn't just talk about dying and rising again. He said, Let me show you how it's done. And he did it. He did it to a young lady. She was called Jairus's daughter. Went in, picked her up. She had been dead for days. The widow's son, there in Luke chapter 7, uh, there was a there was a a um uh a funeral procession, and they were carrying the They called it a beer, B-I-E-R, not Uh, B-E-E-R. It was a coffin there. They're carrying the coffin. And Jesus saw the widow. This was her only son. Her husband was already dead. Everybody's weeping. And he just walked over and think about the audacity of walking into a funeral. I mean, just going between the crowd and just reaching up. And he touched that coffin. And up pops that (laughs) son. I mean, you talk about a happy mama. But it was a miracle. See, Jesus didn't just talk about a resurrection. He performed it. Now, nobody really believed it. Nobody believed that it would happen to Jesus, but he kept promising it as a fact. And the truth is, most people don't believe in the resurrection today. Let's go to Luke chapter 23. Let's pick up our story here in Luke chapter 23. In verse 50. At this point, Jesus is dead. Verse 46 says, when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, Luke chapter 23, verse 46, and when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Verse 50, Behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor, and he was a good man and a just the same had not consented unto the council indeed of them, the Pharisees. He was of Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself waited for the kingdom of God. Verse 52, Luke chapter 23. This man went unto Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. He took it down, he wrapped it in linen, laid it in a sepulcher, a tomb, that was hewn in stone, wherein never man before was laid. And that day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew on as late in the evening. And the women also which came with him from Galilee followed after, and they beheld the sepulcher and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and ornaments and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. What was going on? Most people do not believe in the resurrection. They really just expect to die. That's why so many people are afraid of death. Now, I don't want to die. I, liked, I like breathing, amen? I like living, I like walking. I don't want to die. But you know, there was a day where the where the sting of death got taken away. Matter of fact, a lot of people live in absolute fear. They can't go to a funeral. They don't like to go to hospitals. They don't like anything that might. They don't fly. Probably don't even drive. I don't know. They're afraid. Let me tell you. There's somebody that can take away that fear. His name is Jesus Christ. And he takes away that fear through the resurrection. See, everybody wants power. Let me tell you. You want the power to be kept from trouble? I want the power that when trouble has got me, I get back up. That's the power of the resurrection. See, not one of us can go out tomorrow and say, we're not going to have a problem. But if you're a Christian, you can say, but I can keep going. Because of the power of the resurrection. Most people are so afraid of death because they think that's the end. It's over, done and dusted. It was the same back then. They all heard Jesus speak his resurrection. But no one, you know, when he died, they didn't go, hey, let's wait. Set your clocks, three uh, three days, 72 hours, he's he's getting up again. They didn't do that. When they took him down, they they wrapped him up, they prepared him for burial. They expected him to stay in the grave. Not even his own disciples believed that he was going to come up. Hmm. Instead, you know what they did? They worried about Getting the body off the cross. He says we've got to get the body off the cross, and so Joseph runs to Pilate and says, "Let me have the body." And Pilate says, "Do you want the body?" He says, "Yes, he needs a proper burial. We got to get him off the cross before sundown." And Pilate checks with a centurion, sends the centurion up to the up to uh, the cross, and tells him to 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 stab and to jab that 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 spear of his into the side of Jesus Christ. And out came and the separation of hemoglobin from the uh, 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 from the red blood cells, the corpuscles, and the red. And the white liquid came out. He called it the blood and the water came out, spilled out. He was dead. He didn't flinch. The the body didn't twitch. He was dead on that cross. Came back and reported to Pilate and says, he's dead. Pilate says, you want the body? Take it. So down they took that body and they wrapped it up. They were worried about a body. There's a great point. They were worried about preparing it for burial quickly. And then Nicodemus helps them. They quickly wrap him up in the Jewish tradition. They put in spices and beautiful uh, um, uh, these these small little bulbs of of, uh, of that had been soaked for for months in perfume. They wrapped up that body and and uh, just in honor of of, of their, their their greatest friend they've ever known, the greatest man they've ever known. And they they wrapped him up and they're worried about preparing it for burial. You know, if you believe in the resurrection. You wouldn't you you wouldn't put so much time and so much effort in preparing to die. I'd rather live. Somebody sends me flowers, make, I make sure I get them now, not when I'm dead. I can't appreciate them. <laughs> preparing him for burial, that's all they were worrying about. The women were there, they were watching Joseph and and Nicodemus, doing it, and said, we could do better. And they're sitting there planning, and they, they were gonna actually go back. They did. They actually went back to the tomb. They were gonna ask the soldiers to roll back the stone. They were gonna go back in there and do a better job. Just like most women, they see a man do it, and they go, alright, we gotta do it better. But all they thought was, we gotta get him ready to die, get him ready for the burial. They also worried about the body being stolen. The Pharisees came up to Pilate and said, we need, we need a guard to put on that tomb. Pilate said, you want to guard a dead man? Well, somebody's going to come and try to steal that body. And Pilate said, okay, you've got your guard. Gave him four men, four armed soldiers. Can you imagine guarding a a dead man? All right, But they were worried that that body's going to get stolen. And they also, for for three days, Peter, James, John, all the disciples hid up in that upper room. They were afraid of the persecution that was coming. Here, now, the, the 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 Pharisees had got their way. They had killed their Savior, their Messiah. They 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 killed Jesus, and now all they can imagine is they're next. So where do you find Peter, James, and John and all these great disciples? Up in an upper room, trembling behind closed doors. What are they worried about? <laughs> Everything except the resurrection. You know, I got to thinking about that. And um uh, we spend far too much, work, much time worried about things that God has great control over. You need to start knowing that all the promises of God, you know what, what uh, Paul says, all the promises of God are yay. That means yes. That means affirmative. That means you can count on it. If Jesus promises, you'll see me in three days, guess what? Set your clocks. By the way, if he says he's coming back, he's coming back. They were worried about all the wrong things. But I understand it. If I had been in their in, in their shoes, I would have had the same problem with the resurrection. I just you you see a body so whipped, so beaten, so torn, you wouldn't think he's coming up again. So there, most people do not believe in the resurrection. When push comes to shove, they don't. They don't. But it's wonderful. Look there in chapter twenty-four, verse one upon the first day of the week there in Luke chapter 24, now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, must have had a time change back then too, maybe. They, the women, came to the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. And they entered in. Now, that's freaky. I mean, you asked me to look inside of a grave early in the morning before the sun is up. We're expecting a dead man to be, I ain't looking. <laughs> but in go these women, amen, brave women. They entered in and they found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass as they were much perplexed thereabout. Behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. They're angels. And as they were afraid and they bowed down their faces to the earth, they, the angel, said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? Why are you looking for him here? He is not here. Those are the best four words ever spoken. He is not here. I lost my place. Where are we? Six. Thank you. No. Yeah. But uh, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee. He told you he was going to be up. Saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. <laughs> And returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and other women that were with them which told these things unto the apostles, these great men. And their words seemed to them as idle tales. Uh, You're talking to us? You expect us to believe that he's up and about? And they believed them not. Now, I, I just... Look, here were some women. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James and John, and some other women, and they came to the grave. Just think about it. It's 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 not it's it's a great while before dawn, it says. So it may be five in the morning, four in the morning, I don't know what time it is. They have come to it is dark. All right, they have no torches, I don't know if the moon's out or whatever, but it is a terrifying, creepy thing to do. But to them they had to go back to the place. they had last seen Jesus Hmm. at least they were brave enough to go back and be seen as one of Jesus' disciples where were the men you see Peter no longer I mean he had already failed back in the uh, just after the garden when somebody says you're with him aren't you and what did Peter say I am not what a wuss what a wimp That's that's, that's a shame would you agree I mean, when he pushed King to shove, when he should have been standing by that cross saying, I'm with him! He's over cowering over in a corner. These women, they didn't mind. People going, oh, there go some of Jesus' followers over to the tomb. Yeah, amen. You know, people, they see you pull in, and they see you pull in front of our sign, they go, there go some of those Jesus' followers. Don't be ashamed. You're following a living Savior. At least they had, they were brave enough to go and be seen at Jesus' tomb. Peter and the other men were too embarrassed, too worried about being a follower of a dead man. Mm -hmm. But the tomb wasn't empty. Sorry, the tomb was empty. Stone was rolled back, and Jesus wasn't there. You know, it'd be like, now, I've had to bury my grandfather. I've had a few funerals in my past. And I tell you, when, when, when you bury that person, that loved one of yours, and they... They cover it up there with the board or whatever, and everybody walks away, and then you hear that <laughs> <laughs> and they put that dirt on there. And you walk away, guess what you think? That's it. You come back a few weeks later, you're holding your grandmother's hand, or holding your mom's hand, and uh and, and you, you come back to the grave. Can you imagine come back to the grave and the grave just exploding and it's gone and the body's gone? How would you feel? Like, where'd they take grandpa? <laughs> The fact he wasn't there shook him up. Can you imagine, can you imagine just the shock of that? And then two men showing up next to him going, what are you doing? <laughs> I, I would have fainted, man. I mean, first of all, you're in a cemetery. Secondly, it is dark. Third, two guys talking to you at the tomb, you're going to freak out. <laughs> you're looking in the wrong place for him, they says. I mean, these these ladies just, whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, but think about it, it's soaked in. This was the beginning that was going to turn the world upside down. Here these these feeble, helpless, they had no power, they had no money, they had no way to affect a generation, and yet they did. How did they how did they go out into the highways and the hedges and, and and see people converted and see people come under the realization that there's a God in heaven who loved them and died for them and lives again because they believed it. You see, when you start believing the resurrection, it'll change your, your attitude. It'll change the way you relate to people. It'll change the way you deal with problems. Some people say, how come nothing gets you down? Because I've been resurrected, man. I mean, the life that I now live, I don't live by my own strength anymore. I don't live by my own faith anymore. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And he's coming back for me, by the way. Here, these ladies were amazing. They ran, they, they went, and they, they told the apostles, can you imagine them coming in and they, they bang on the door and who is it? It's Mary, and it's Mary. And it's, there are three Marys, by the way. <laughs> so they open the door and then come these ladies. He's gone! And I mean Peter going. What do you mean he's gone? Look at the next verse. They're in verse 12. Then arose Peter, and he did what? He ran to the sepulchre, stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves. I'll talk about that in a second. And then he departed, wondering, shocked. He was amazed in himself at that which was come to pass. Now, he didn't fully understand it. And he still didn't quite believe it. But look at what was going on. It was a wonderful event. Would you agree? Uh, let me back up here. Let me just remind you, the resurrection is impossible. Don't think that, well, if I die, I'll just... There are people, especially back in the early 1900s, uh, they were called uh, 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 Scientologists. They're not scientists and they're not Christians or anything, but Scientologists and a woman named Mary Baker, Eddie Clover, Cleveland, no, she had like seven or eight husbands that she killed off. I'm not sure how it worked. She didn't believe in death. She says, long as I as long as I never believe in death, I won't die. So she died. But she demanded that if they ever thought she was dead, that they would put a telephone in her coffin next to her. So they waited for weeks. She didn't get up. And when they finally had to bury the decomposing body, they put it and they dropped the line with the telephone in there, closed up the grave, walked away. They're still waiting for a phone call. You see, there are a lot of people who don't believe in death. They believe that if I ever seem like I'm dead, I'm coming back. Listen, the resurrection is impossible. It just doesn't happen. I know, you see, you see people, they bring up these, these electrical paddles, you know. I think my mom had them, but she never used them on the chest. She used them on the rear. Anyway, uh, you know, those electric paddles, you know, they, they, they put some sort of, butter on it or whatever and then they bring the guy back to life that's about after 10 seconds of death or a minute of death 2 minutes, 4 minutes how about 4 days think about it it is unbelievable that Jesus would actually be truly alive the very same guy it would take a lot of work to repair think about it all the damage done on the cross his body was proven to be dead and it, was, it would have to be living again No ventilators, no IV drips, no adrenaline shots, no cosmetic surgery, no organ transplants. He had to be able to stand on his own and look them in the eye and say, it is me. His ripped and torn body would have to be perfectly restored. His heart would have to beat again. His lungs would have to breathe again. His lifeless body would have to be able to walk again. And it was impossible. It was impossible then, and it was impossible now. By the way, 2,000 years later, here we are, and it's still impossible after somebody's dead three days to get them back up again. Yet there he was, (laughs) standing literally right in front of them over and over again for the next 40 days, inviting them to place their hand in his side. Remember Thomas? Thomas says, I will not believe unless I put my hand in his side. And Jesus said, all right. And there went Thomas, and he said, my Lord and my God, he said, "Put your hand in my my hands, Thomas." What a crazy thing! You know what Jesus has left? Just a few scars to remind us that he really did die. You see, I I think right now it is an amazing thing to believe that he really is alive. But out in the eternity future, after a couple of billion years, I'm going to need to be reminded that he did die, and that he died for me. So he's going to keep those scars. When I get to heaven, I won't have any scars. I won't have any limp. I won't have any mental problems. I won't have any eyesight problems. I'll be perfect. But Jesus Christ has kept a few scars to, to keep me humble, to remind me what it costs for me to be able to be with him. All that was left were a few scars. Now the proofs of the resurrection. Go to Luke chapter 24 and verse 12 now. Look at this thing that happened here. Then arose Peter and he ran unto the sepulchre and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves. I want you to understand, uh Jesus proved was is proved to be alive according to Acts chapter 1 3 by many infallible true proofs. And and get this idea. Peter goes in, he sees, and what would you expect if somebody's gonna if there's a dead body in a in a in a tomb? All right? And that dead body has been wrapped in a cloth and that cloth has soaked up blood and other bodily fluids. Would you expect that somebody would come along and unwrap it and then set it aside and then take the body? Somebody unwrapped Jesus though because when he looked in there he saw that outer garment that had been wrapped around because you remember they looked like mummies. Right? Not daddies, but mummies. And they 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 would wrap up that body there with that cloth, but here was the cloth that Jesus had been buried in by Joseph of Arimathea and by Nicodemus, and it was off of him. That was that was overwhelming to Peter because if you're gonna steal a body, you keep the cloth on. It's a proof. See, the tomb is empty, the cloth is off the body. As a matter of fact, it says that the napkin, John. Chapter 21, or chapter 20, the the napkin that was on his face. They just I don't know why they they did all kinds of different things, but they placed a face cloth on his face as they wrapped it up. Even that was taken off, folded up. If you're rushing to get a body out of a tomb before anybody sees you, you don't fold up the clothes. The greatest proof of the resurrection is that empty tomb. We take it for granted. We take it for granted. Peter and John, they see the proof. Wow, the angel invites them and says, come see where the Lord lay. Take a good look. As a matter of fact, I think for weeks people came up to that tomb and looked inside that that empty tomb. Here was a massive tombstone that had been sealed and yet it was rolled back. The bandages were rolled up and laid to the side. The face napkin folded and placed to the side. No one could point to the body of Jesus. And believe me, they looked for it. The Roman soldiers did. The Pharisees did. Everybody looked for that body and they can't find it to this day. Because it ain't here. The people, you know what the second proof of the resurrection is? The people who talked with him after the resurrection. Namely Peter and Mary, Cleopas, Thomas. Hey, their testimony counts. Jesus ate. He drank. He showed his wounds to his friends after his resurrection. He walked alongside with two men on the road to Emmaus. And as he walked with them, he asked them, how you guys doing? They said, I kind of shook. He said, what's wrong? Have you not been around Jerusalem? Jesus, who we believe to be the Messiah, died. And now they say he's alive and we don't know what to believe. And Jesus said, oh, really? <laughs> and it was Jesus talking to him. He walked with them. He ate with them. Look in Luke chapter 24. This whole thing here, I want to show you. Look here down. Let's see if I can find it here. And <clears throat> yeah, Verse 28, They drew nigh unto the village, whither they went, and he made as though he, Jesus, made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread, he blessed it, he gave thanks for it, and break it, and gave to them. And their eyes were open, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while, we, while he talked with us by the way? And while he opened to us the scriptures, and they rose up the same hour, they ran back to Jerusalem, found the eleven gathered together, and them that were with them saying, The Lord is risen indeed. And half appeared to Simon Peter. So, uh, Jesus was, was uh, giving these people, and it wasn't just he, them, it was 500. hundred. First Corinthians chapter 15 says that Jesus was seen by over 500 people who saw him, hugged him, held him, listened to him, watched him for 40 days. He appeared to Stephen when Stephen uh, was, was, was preaching away and they started picking up stones. They started to strike him. He fell down on his knees and he looked up and he says, I see Jesus. Oh, they picked up bigger stones. But you know what, uh, what uh, Stephen said? I'm coming home. You know what Paul said when he was on the road to Damascus and he got knocked off a horse And there he was on the ground looking up into the sky to a light brighter than the sun. He says, Who art thou? Lord? And Jesus said, I am Jesus. It's me. (laughs) Amen. You see, Jesus appeared through all that time to give them a testimony. Because the people who talked with Jesus, their testimony counts. I'll come back to it in a second. Because it develops. Hey, there are people here this morning Change lives. They proved that the Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God, living and still saving. Once upon a time, there were two lawyers in England back in the 1800s who didn't believe that Christ had risen from the dead. And they met a pastor. And they mocked him and they made fun of him. And he says, you believe a fairy tale. And that pastor told him to to study. He challenged them to study the record of the resurrection in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then, look at the conversion of Paul. These two lawyers, by the time they had studied for about three months each, they avoided each other on the street. They finally, when they met again, they accused each other of having avoided the other. And then they both confessed that each of them had gotten convicted in their studies and had received the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, and they both were now Christians. Two men in the recent past that I know of, a guy named Lee Strobel. I should have put his picture up here, I apologize, but Lee Strobel has a Master of Studies in Law, uh, a Master in Studies and Law degree from Yale Law School. He was a journalist for the Chicago Tribune and, and other newspapers for 14 years. He was an avowed atheist and began investigating the biblical claims about Christ after his wife got saved. Prompted by the results of his investigation, he became a Christian and he wrote a book called A Case for Christ. And if I can encourage you to get that book, it will open your eyes. To the fact that we don't we don't believe cunningly devised fables... We believe the truth. There's like a second man named Josh McDowell who wrote a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. He also was a law student who set out to examine the historical evidences of the Christian faith in order to disprove it. In college, he decided, I'm going to make a mockery of all these Christians. I'm going to prove them all wrong. Well, he got converted. He, after After he said, he found evidence for Christianity and not against it. And that doesn't mention men like Peter Hitchens, who's a brother of Christopher Hitchens, the wicked man. Uh, Peter Hitchens uh, got saved, and a great testimony there in the British Parliament there. Countless others. And by the way, I am one too. I have a testimony that Jesus Christ took an agnostic who didn't care about God, didn't look for God, didn't think about church, didn't think about heaven, didn't think about hell. I wasn't concerned. And somebody came up and shook my shook my life to the core. It says, where are you going when you die? I hadn't thought about it. I'd seen people die, but I didn't think that I would. And at 17 years old, somebody said, somebody loved you enough to die so you don't have to go to hell. I mean, they believed it. Now, I didn't, but they sure believed what I needed to believe. You know, um, uh, that woman, Maureen Smith, I call her my spiritual mom. She got me to look into the Bible and start testing, finding it out. And believe me, when I picked up, when she handed me a King James Bible, I went, oh, this is too complicated. (laughs) I can't read this. And I started to look at all the evidence, and I'm glad I did. You see, the greatest testimony that Jesus is alive is a nut like me. I didn't grow up like this. I didn't believe any of this. That book converted me. A woman challenged me to know where I was going when I died, and all I could say is a hole in the ground. Until I read about Jesus Christ. And I tested it. And I looked at the evidence. Before there was an internet. Amen. <laughs> the evidence of the resurrection. You think about this for a minute. The evidence for the resurrection will hold up in any court. They say this. If eyewitnesses have given a testimony. And if they have agreed in their testimony. And that testimony has been reduced to writing. And there's no incontrovertible evidence. They use big words in the, in the law and there's no incontrovertible evidence and no final evidence has been produced to overthrow the written testimony, then the written testimony stands and cannot be disannulled or abrogated. And there has not been any conclusive evidence produced since the resurrection of Christ that he did not rise from the dead. Therefore, in every court, the resurrection stands as true that Jesus is alive. Don't you sit there and go, well, I don't know... I know most people, most, most Christians live like Jesus isn't alive. Now the power of the resurrection. You think about a ragtag group of followers like Jesus' disciples who would have been easily and quickly silenced if it had not been the fact that they saw a living Jesus. The resurrection motivated Peter to stand and preach with power on the day of Pentecost in three thousand grown up men repented and got saved because he believed Jesus was alive the resurrection of Jesus was good enough for Stephen to stand and preach and confront the Jews and compel them to believe even though it cost him his life what nut would go and risk his life for a dead man? I wouldn't but if there is something more than this life if this life can end and my life doesn't then it's okay. Jesus said this, fear not him that is able to kill your body, but fear him who is able to kill both body and soul in hell. I mean, just look at the followers of Jesus Christ. They're the most ragtag, messed up group. They weren't great speakers. They weren't, you know, theologians. They didn't know how to put, you know, everything into an eloquent sentence or a statement or whatever, and yet they turned the world upside down. You know, from the backwoods of Judea all the way to the courts of Caesar, Christianity rocked this world. How did Jesus rise from the dead? Well, he did it by himself. The Bible says, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down and I take it back again. He was going to get up by himself. You hear these guys who claim to be able to resurrect and raise the dead. Uh, they don't. And by the way, if the resurrection can work, Uh, the greatest resurrection was when the one who was dead got up himself. Jesus is the greatest resurrection of all time. He arose by himself. 1 Peter 3.18 says he got up by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by the power of an adrenaline shot, and he did it by the power of God the Father. Trinity right there. But it was for a great work. What what does the power of the resurrection have to do with anything? Number one, it was to remove all the curses of Genesis chapter 3. Everything that's wrong in this world, we brought on ourselves because of sin, Jesus fixes through the power of the resurrection. You say, I've got too heavy a burden. Jesus has the strength to carry it because of the resurrection. He can remove every. You say, well, I wish you'd take care of my problem. He is. And one of these days, because this life is but a vapor, our brief time on this planet is nothing to compared to eternity. So whatever you're going through right now, whatever you're losing, whatever you lose is not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us in the future. Because there's life after death. He takes care of all the curses. He restores life in the place of death. You know, when Adam and Eve sinned, and when they disobeyed God, and they bought the lie of the devil, and they decided to turn their back on God, and tried to live without God, they throw, they put death on the throne. After that, it was nothing but death. You know what it says in Romans? Uh, sorry, Genesis chapter 5? So-and-so uh, uh, had so many sons, and he died. And so and so he grew and he had so many sons and he died and he died and he died and he died death reigned Jesus comes along and now life reigns I'm glad for Jesus You know uh that the resurrection proves the deity of Jesus Christ You see I am I'm a nobody you bury me in the grave you know I'm just a man Somebody comes back out of that grave that's the son of God. That's the son of God. Confucius is not coming up, Buddha is not coming up, Muhammad's is not coming up. Cuz they're not they're just people. They're just humans. But Jesus, son of God. It also convinces skeptics. Look at John chapter 20. Go to the next book in your Bible after Luke, go to John chapter 20. In verse 25, The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen... Them. We'll go back to verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them in the upper room when Jesus came that first Sunday night. By the way, don't you be missing tonight, Sunday night, because Thomas was missing when Jesus showed up at the Sunday night meeting at church, the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem, by the way. Verse 25. Then the other disciples therefore said unto Thomas, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand in his side, I will not believe. That's the mantra of the skeptic. I'm not going to believe until you can show me proof. Well, verse 25, And after eight days, again, his disciples were within, and Thomas, this time he was with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and he stood in the midst and said, Now they're freaking out. They're all going, (gasps) And he says, Calm down. Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, I heard you. Reach hither thy finger and behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand and thrust into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith to him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Well, blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. What's the power of the resurrection? It still convinces. Me, even though I have not been able to put my hand in his side and my finger in his hands, I believe. The power of the resurrection convinces skeptics. If you let it, it'll convince you. And Lastly, it'll motivate Christians to preach the gospel. Go back, back to Luke chapter 24, and I'm finished. Actually, two more verses. Luke chapter 24, back where we were, in verse 38. What does the What does the resurrection do for you? Well, it'll save your soul. If you believe it, it'll probably save your family, your your marriage. It'll save your mind. You say, well, I need my bank account saved. Let it go. Because money comes, money goes, but your soul is eternal. If you want anything that the power of the resurrection can affect, it'll be the eternal things. Look at Luke chapter 24. For those of us who are Christians, look at this. Verse 38. He, Jesus, said to them, why are, you, why are you troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and my feet, that is, I myself, handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones. I'm not a hologram. Okay. okay. Actually, we're in Luke chapter 24. <laughs> and we're not waiting for you to catch up. All right. <laughs> Luke chapter 24, verse 39. Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is, I myself, handle me and see, for a spirit had not flesh and bones, as you see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed him his hands and his feet. While yet they believed not for joy, and wondered, he said unto them, Have ye here any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and a honeycomb, and he took it, and he did eat before them. He ate right there in front of them. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding, that they might understand the scriptures. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved, it honors Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission, the removal of sins, should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. What was the resurrection for? us to motivate you and me. Motivate you and me to realize, you know what, if I got saved because somebody told me I need to tell somebody else. Oh, I wish we preached the gospel. What are you talking about? You're probably still talking about Enda Kenny and the water charges. You're probably still talking about Fina Gale and Fina Fall getting together for the first time in history and all these things that are going on. You're probably talking about all the wasted things. You know what you need to talk about? He's alive. He's alive. The good news is he died for sinners and you could be saved from your sin You can you can rest that when when you rest your eyes and sleep at at death, you'll wake up in heaven. You'll wake up with Jesus Christ. Now there's some warnings. Go to Hebrews, last verse. Hebrews chapter nine. Hebrews chapter nine and verse twenty seven. my life is just terrible. Oh, I've had so many troubles. Uh, you better understand the gospel because troubles have not begun if you're not born again. You see, if the resurrection is true, then there's more to come after you close your eyes in death. Look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. And as it is appointed unto men, once to die. By the way, you'll all keep that appointment. You'll all keep that appointment. It is appointed unto men, once to die. But after this, what is it? The judgments. You know, most people will believe anything except that Jesus is alive. Uh, the Pharisees paid those Roman soldiers to say that somebody came and stole the body of Jesus, even though it was ridiculous. Most people will believe anything except that Jesus is alive. Most Christians today, in this day and age, are disobeying our Lord's greatest command to keep soul winning, keep going, keep caring, keep keep preaching. We're supposed to be fanatics. I'm not supposed to touch this blend. Because whether you believe it or not, whether you like it or not, death will not be your end. You're going to live on forever somewhere. Your body will rise again. Either you're going to resurrect to life, or Daniel says, or to everlasting damnation. I pray you're ready to get saved today. See, saved from what? Saved from the wrath to come. You've got enough sin on your record to put anybody away for eternity. Don't you say you're a good person. You may be better than me, but you're not good enough. You know what you need? You need Jesus Christ. Are you ready to get saved? You know what? You've been coming to church. You uh, say, so who are you talking to? Anybody. Somebody in this room, several of you, coming to church week after week, week after week, week after week, week after week. You put it off, put it off, put it off. Today's the day. Now is the accepted time. This is your chance. You say, why is it so important? Because if you don't act on it, you may not have tomorrow. And by the way, I know this the longer you wait, the harder it is to get your heart motivated. The heart only gets harder the longer you resist the Holy Spirit. The resurrection carries a weight with it. Don't wait before it's too late. Because there is going to be a resurrection death out in the future. Yeah. I just know that my destiny is fixed. Jesus fixed it for me. The best news this world ever heard came from a graveyard. He's not here, but he's written. God gave us a promise of the resurrection. We didn't make this up. I found it in a book. Most people don't believe in the resurrection today, but when you read it, it is wonderful. Why? Because it's impossible. I mean, if it was easy, everybody would be coming up out of the grave. Hospitals would be out of business. But you've been given several infallible proofs for the resurrection I'm just waiting and begging God for you to want to experience the power of the resurrection in your soul today, in your spirit, in your life, and in your home. Father, would you bless these thoughts on this day. This is the reason why we meet on a Sunday. We don't meet on Saturday. We don't meet on Tuesday. We can meet any day of the week. We can preach. We can sing. It's all worship. It's all wonderful. As a matter of fact, we should. But the one day that stands out is the first day of the week because that's when Jesus rose from the dead. That's when death was defeated. That's when sin was gone. So we worship you today. And we bow our heads. If we're going to worship right, we do it empty. We do it as nothing. We do it with only one Focus, and that is toward our living Savior. Toward somebody who loved us, who gave himself for us, and amazingly calls every person on this planet unto himself. Father, I pray that you would grip somebody's heart this morning like you gripped my heart 35 years ago. Convince them that today's the day. They don't have to do anything. If they don't do anything, they're doomed. But if they just believe, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I'm just so glad, Father, he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he got up to prove that it comes as a package deal. We can live forever with you. Thank you for the resurrection, Lord. Convince us this morning, motivate us, out of our apathy, back into real Christianity. It goes out into the highway, highways and hedges and says, my Savior's alive. I serve a risen Savior. I want to live for him now. Pray we make that commitment. For soul's sake, for your son's sake, in Jesus' name, amen.